Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sign Guy Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday. Sign Guy, the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he's got a boast. He's really hot, so he's moved to roast. Everyone raise a toast to the coach with the most. Coach Mike Jones, real fast before we jump into things with our great guest today, some show notes. If you're looking for some pro wrestling today or tomorrow, tonight you have WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. You have SOS Pro Wrestling here in Seattle. You have FGW in Hamilton, Ohio. Tomorrow night, Emerge Wrestling in Trafalgar, Indiana. You have IPW in Muncie, Indiana. You have 907 Wrestling happening in Anchorage, Alaska. You have Power Pit Pro Wrestling in Roseburg, Oregon. You also have live pro wrestling featuring OB Russell House. That is in San Diego, California. And you also have tomorrow New Horizons Pro Wrestling with the AIWF. That is in Orangeburg, South Carolina. But without further ado, I want to welcome our guest today, he has been in the pro wrestling industry a very long time. He has worn a lot of hats, referee, newsletter writer, historian, CAC member, author is a late hat that he has just put on recently, Mike Rogers out of Troutdale, Oregon. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. It's good to, good to be on your show. Well, I believe it is your first time here, so I will lead you off with our traditional first-timer question. What led to you getting into the business of pro wrestling? Well, starting back early, I remember the very first time I saw it on TV, and I was absolutely mesmerized. I just wanted to know what was going on then, what was going on before I started watching and uh, it just the interest just never faded away and uh, our good friend Ken Hamlin had a uh, bulletin and it was called Ring Around the World and I I started helping him a little bit and uh, we became very good friends and then I said I want to start like a sister publication and I'd like to call it Ring Around the Northwest and uh, he turned around and helped me some as, as we were putting out those bulletins. And that was in May of 1983. And uh, it was we didn't have computers then. It was just on a typewriter, about three pages and monthly, and just what happened in the Northwest during that month. And uh, it grew a little bit from there, but that's that's kind of how everything got started. When you started up, you had Don Owen as the dominant promoter, obviously, in this region. You had uh, 
Dean Silverstone running some of the Northwest. Were there other promoters that had something going while you started up the newsletter? Not really. Dean had finished. Uh, he finished up in probably the mid-'70s. Uh, it was primarily just coverage of Don Owen. Every now and then, I'd, if I got a little tidbit of news from uh, up in Canada, I'd include that. Uh, there wasn't really anything going on in the Seattle area, at least in the early 80s. It was just all coverage of Don Owen. In your book, Excitement in the Air, you reprint an interview with a lot of different personalities. The bulk of them covered the thoughts they had on Don Owen. From everyone that you have talked to that actually did work for him, how well-liked would you say that he was or wasn't by the people that directly worked in his territory? Well, you know, being a promoter, especially in the territory days, really seemed like a, a tough, tough job. And Don Owen is pretty well liked by almost everybody that's come through. Um, you always hear, you know, what promoters were the best promoters to work for, and usually it's Paul Bosch, but then Don Owen is mentioned in the in the same paragraph. Um, most people really really seemed to like him. There's, there's a couple, and a couple in the book, who uh, had some disagreements with him and, and, you know, didn't think he was the best promoter around. But um, overall, the um, majority, you know, have really enjoyed working for him and thought he was good to work for. You mentioned you covered a little bit of Vancouver, Al Tomko was a very unique personality within pro wrestling from everything I heard from a lot of the guys I worked with that started with Al Tomko. How would you compare Tomko to Owens as far as the style, how well liked they were, things of that nature? Hmm. Um, when Tomko took over from Kaninsky and Kovacs, I think it's, it's – um, pretty well thought that talent went down. There were still very good wrestlers working for Tomko, but um, you went from the likes of, you know, Gene Kaninsky and Don Leo Jonathan and Dean Higuchi and all the guys that, that worked up there in the in the prime of uh, Kovacs and Kaninsky, you know, to what, what Tomko was using throughout his. I think Tomko still made his shows interesting, I think the guys definitely worked hard, but I think it was uh, I think it was a drop in in quality. A lot of fans may not really understand how important Tomko was for young wrestlers. A lot of top names started with him. Guys like Rick Rude, John Tenta, Road Warrior Hawk, all started their careers with Tomko, out of all the people that started there, who would you estimate became the ultimate biggest star? Oh, pro it would probably be a toss-up between Rude and, and the Road Warrior. Um, 
you know, they neither one were here for, you know, just literally a couple weeks, but, you know, they did have their first matches here. Um, he also gave a, a chance to, you know, a lot of our locals, uh, Buddy Wayne and Ole Olson and uh, Pat Brady. I have an interview with Pat Brady who, who laughs that he got to work for Tomco just because he had a car and, and he, could, he could do some of the driving. Um, so, yeah, a place like Vancouver with, with Tomco as the promoter was a great place for the young, young stars to come and, and get their seasoning. So in in that respect, it it was really important. In the early 90s, we saw pretty much all the territories fade away at that point. Independent pro wrestling became the dominant factor in the business. When did you start to notice that the territorial system was on its way out, and when did you start to notice independent professional wrestling taking hold? Well, let's see. It, it probably started there in eighty four, eighty five, when WWF started raiding all the all the um, territories for their top talent. Um, you know, at times we lost Billy Jack and Rip Oliver and and Buddy Rose at a time, you know, and that was probably the start of it. By 87, Portland and Memphis were about the only places left, 87, 88, um, and Portland chugged along for another couple years under Don Owen. I always thought that Portland wrestling would last forever or as long as they wanted to because they owned their own building, which was such a key you know, in, in Portland at least, such a key element. And uh, I always felt that Channel 12 uh, Portland Wrestling was such a tradition that it would be on forever. But times change. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, WWF came in and they, they paid Channel 12 to show their show, which, you know, everybody's in to make money. And that was definitely a better alternative for them you know, than to pay Don to show the show. So you also saw the rise in the 90s of other newsletters. Uh, Brian Alvarez, for example, came out with Figure Four Newsletter. Dave Meltzer's newsletter became more widely circulated. Then you also had the Internet towards the mid part of that decade. How did that affect your business with the newsletter that you had? The Internet is its how it's evolved. You know, most of my dealings in the, in the early part of the business were through the mail, or maybe I'd call somebody, you know, and but mostly through the mail. People would send me results, and I'd go check the mailbox, and, you know, I'd have correspondence scattered throughout Oregon, and I'd get the results with – this is how I like to think of it with with the internet and as the years went went on and on, you know, you could find a, a instantly what happened at a show, you know, in some other place. And then as the years go went on, you'd be talking to the boys who wrestled that night and that's that's really how it changed, you know. You'd you'd go for a lag time of a week or so from what happened to a to a, in a match to that night 
finding out and then actually talking to the wrestlers, or you know, if you chose to at least, to ask him a question about the show. So that's that is quite the transformation of of how information gets reported. Well, at this point, Coach Mike is with us. I know he has questions, so I will pass you over to the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast. Hey, Mike, it's, I'm glad you're on today. It's an honor to have you. I've been really looking forward to this show, and I thank you for all you've done in the, for the business. Oh, you bet. It's good to talk to you too, Mike. Yeah, and, I've, man, I've always looked forward to reading your Ring Around the Northwest or pretty much anything you put out about wrestling. Really enjoyed working with you all those times. It was an honor to be there during the, your first match at the boys, in, uh, the South End Boys and Girls Club in Tacoma. And uh, <laughs> had you wrestled any other matches? Oh, no. I knew that was going to be a one-time thing. Uh, that was Ed Moretti loves to tell that story. You know, I was I was roughing up there in Tacoma, and and uh, that night I knew there was going to be a battle royal, and I, I said, I told Ed I, on the way up, I said, uh, maybe I can get into this battle royal, and he he laughed. He looked at me and laughed, and I said, I think I've got a way to do it, and and. If you remember, it was a it was a a match was going on and it broke out of, out of control, and everybody on the card came running in to help help break this match up, and from there the battle royal just started, and if I remember yeah. right, I tore off my ref shirt and and uh, just got right involved with it. <laughs> yeah, and you held your own. Uh, Moretti laughs. He he's. He tells the story, and he tells it so well. Um, he looked over, and he said that I was just had a guttural, like, scream coming out. And I, I'm, like, I'm laughing, and I said, no way. He goes, I swear to God, Mike. I swear. <laughs> yeah, I still got footage of that. I've got so much footage of the old Northwest wrestling and then, got a huge library but of course most of it's vhs and it's like my god i just can't get to it all and it takes so much time to even do anything and and then i I posted like hundreds of videos on youtube and somehow i got like a hundred videos are missing off of youtube like my match with billy two eagles and probably even the battle royal i mean somehow they disappeared off of there Right. I don't know if YouTube takes them off or what, but uh, yeah, I'm missing about a hundred matches or shows or whatever videos off of uh, YouTube from the start. But I do got all the footage still, and I am determined to get to it someday. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, definitely. Also honored and proud that I was able to do the interview for your uh, Ring Around the Northwest, and it was amazing that. Uh, I appreciated you. You uh, refer or compared me to Doctor Death, Steve Williams, and I couldn't believe that. Thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was fun. It was fun to do all the interviews with with all the ta- all the talent in the Northwest. And then it was an honor to finally get you on the NGW Green Room down there at Cauliflower Alley. I appreciated that. Right. Very and, good. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I, I'm 
really proud that you got your book out. Uh, looking forward to reading that. I'm still in the middle of reading Kevin Sullivan's book or his wife's book. Um, I'm in the middle of writing my own story that includes my mom. I was first going to do my mother's story who who had mother muscular dystrophy and died when she was 34 when I was 18 and my brother was 15. Wow. But uh, since I've uh, I hired a, a, a book coach, publishing coach, marketing coach, uh, Patrick Snow. Man, this guy's great. Uh, I signed a lifetime contract with him. He's got me in line. I'm working on it. I'm plugging away. Very took good. Him five years. Took him five years to make his first book, uh, Creating Your Own Destiny. Wow. And became a number, number one seller. He's sold over a million books in 100 countries and five languages. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I noticed that I would imagine you went through the Amazon program to do your book because the way it looks to me. Yes, I got I – got, I, I'd been kicking around the idea of having a book for a few years. There was a, a – reader who had some connections and we thought we were going to get it going, you know, maybe about 10 years ago. And he had some health issues and kind of backed out. And then I'd been talking with Scott Teal and he got, he was very busy and he took a step back from, from publishing a little bit. And so then I contacted John Cosper who has eat, sleep and wrestle and uh, had some discussions with him. Um, I, I had told him most of the book is is there already. I don't have to really write too much. It's it's work that's already been done. And Frank Colbertson, my friend, and and I, we worked on it a little bit, cleaned it up, and edited it, and we sent it off to him. And I, I hadn't I didn't really have much of an idea after we we sent it off. I thought, oh well, now it'll be you know three months or so. The next yeah. day, I get on my iPad and I look, and it, there's the book. It's on Amazon. I couldn't believe oh, it. It was like the next nice. day. Okay. So John, whatever John did, had to do, or or you know, he did it, and it and it didn't take that long for at least for that little aspect of it. Um, I know that Frank and I had had. I guess I guess we'd done most of the work, but uh, um, we we certainly needed John. That's for sure. Okay, yeah, I figured it was something like that because I've learned a lot about the self-publishing through Patrick Snow and all the different things that they suggest you do. And, you know, your book still looks great, as and you got a great cover, but of course... I love the cover. Yeah, you know, but there's certain things that they suggest you do on your own self-publishing to do that... You know, I noticed like with Kevin's wife's book, it's the same thing. It doesn't have a forward. It doesn't have, you know, pe- people uh, write or, or testimonials and stuff, you know. Right. But it doesn't right. matter. I mean, her book's the same thing. It's got a great cover and it, it looks good. It, it's a great book. So, I mean, uh-huh. there's, there's different ways to do it, you know. And I think, you know, that's an option for me, too. It's a lot cheaper than doing it all yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and then, uh, so anyway, i uh, got some more questions about, uh, so what was some of your favorite interviews you, you did? 
Um, uh, Ed Moretti, I think, you know, who's, who's one of my closest friends, uh, he, we did like three interviews over the years in Ring Around the Northwest, and the first one is in, in this book. And uh, I think it's important when you're interviewing somebody, hopefully you can make them feel comfortable. And that's the one thing that, that Ed and I, you know, we were already very comfortable with each other. So he was able to, you know, open up and be honest and just really, really tell great stories. I think if, you know, a lot of times I never really cold called anybody. It was always, you know, something was set up when I either I would just send the interview off to somebody and then they could take their time and do it through the mail um, or email. Um, but a lot of times some of these wrestlers are older and maybe they don't type very well. So then it's they'd rather do it on the phone. And I always feel like I'm bothering people. I'd rather not do it on the phone. But every single time, any any interview that's done on the phone is a hundred times better because then there's interaction and they can really, really tell the stories. And if um, if you can have something that that kind of catches them, like a great example is like I called Bull Ramos, and I'm you know I'm really nervous. Bull Ramos is like one of my idols. But I had one little thing that would that would pave the way, and that was my wife played with his daughter when they were little girls. So just that little tidbit, you know, it, it kind of opens up conversations and and things just go, you know, smoother from that point on. Um, but yeah, some of the interviews on the legends, you know, we had Don Leo Jonathan and Dutch Savage, and and they. Both did a really great job, told lots and lots of stories. That's that's kind of the thing, too. Everybody wants to tell their story, you know, and, and so they'll, they will be remembered. And uh, that's if you can just kind of key into that and get get people uh, where they're comfortable in talking, then it hopefully it's going to be a good interview. Yeah, definitely. And uh, speaking of uh, Moondog, you refed my match versus him, was, which was still till today one of my toughest matches. And I still can't believe I got an 18-minute uh, count-out victory of, over him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a wild match where he threw me out into my crowd section, threw my son out of, my, out of his seat and smashed my head on my son's seat. And my, my son busted into tears. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I, I think that was just by chance too. He didn't know my son, of course. Right. Oh wow. no, that's funny. And that was like my—I was only like my sixth match or something, and uh, I was so nervous and so not into the promos yet. After the match, Ken Hamlin wanted to interview me. I, I almost walked off. Like, hey, Mike, <laughs> what do you got to say? All I could say was, man, he's a lot tougher than I thought, just like all the rest of these guys. I could have broke into, I'm coming for all the titles, this and that, you know. (laughs) Oh, man, but you live and learn. Sure. Yeah, and then, uh, and then so, uh, who was some of the toughest wrestlers uh, you've, 
you've been involved with, like, when you're refing matches that you've seen? Oh, The first one that comes to mind was uh, Bad News Allen, and he was a very, very nice man, but I was very, very intimidated. And there wasn't anything that that he wasn't gruff with me. He was very kind and everything. It was just I was just a little intimidated. I was, believe it or not, I was a little intimidated with uh, Cowboy Lang. Uh, he was the very first match that I ever refed, and uh, because I, you know, I wanted to do a good job with him, and and uh, you know, he obviously knew I was very, very green, and and uh, I think I broke out. Uh, I saw you wrestle when I was a kid, and. <laughs> I don't know if that got over with him or made him mad at me. <laughs> yeah, and for people who don't know, Cal, the, just by the sound of it, Cowboy Lang sounds like some big burly guy. This guy's a midget, okay? <laughs> right? Oh yeah, one of the one of the um, legendary midgets. One of the legendary yeah, midgets. And then, uh, cool thing about Cowboy Lang, when my son used to go to the matches with uh, at Debashi's shows, and he was like six or seven, and uh, he'd always try to get in the ring and stuff, and and Debashi kept telling my son he's going to get my son a match with Cowboy Lang. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny story, too, with, with my son. It was the very first night that I was refing in it. Buddy Rose and Moretti were on the card, and, and Cowboy Lang was on the card, and, and Cowboy Lang and, the, and his opponent came out to the ring, and uh, evidently my son saw saw them, and my son would have been uh, five or six, and he he asked my wife, "Is my dad going to be Whittle too?" <laughs> and we we always laugh about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then. Uh... So what was some of your most memorable matches that you uh, refed in? I've got a I've got a great one. Uh Tim Flowers and Randy Taylor and it was in Cloverdale. And they were both bleeding a lot. <laughs> and and uh at one point Tim picked up Randy in a pile driver position and Randy was bleeding, bleeding on the mat and Tim just held him. And there's, there's a, a puddle is forming underneath him and I'm kind of mesmerized by that puddle and I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little icky. (laughs) And then I, I glance around the ring because the finish was coming and, and it was going to be a ref bump. And I'm glancing around the ring thinking, okay, I don't want to just start swimming here. And I saw one corner looked relatively clean. And uh, we go into the finish. Tim uh, shoulder blocks me. And I do this Three Stooges spinny. And Tim hit me hard. He hit me hard. I I felt it. But I do this spinny Three Stooges uh, hop and skip, and I end up in that good corner. <laughs> oh, nice. 
Yeah, and them crowds up there in Canada are, are crazy, man. They go off. It was it. It was those were always interesting shows. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, of course, since you weren't a wrestler, but one of my standard questions I ask, and I would imagine it pertains to some referees. And then I also would imagine you probably don't hate many people, but who was the most hated wrestler you were in the ring with? But I mean by that, of course, you know, as in, you know, like a lot of people try to abuse the refs and stuff, that type of thing, or just somebody that you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That type of thing. The the wrestler that the crowd seemed to hate the most. That you hated as, as in, being in matches with them because uh, whether because they whether they tried to uh, abuse you or just was a, a jerk. Hmm, that's an interesting question. I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Tim. Not that I didn't like him. Tim made me nervous at times because I I yeah. did not want to mess up. So yeah, yeah. not that I hated him. I liked him. I liked him a lot. Um, yeah. But he would make me nervous because I think Tim would get so nervous, and you'd want everything. And here's another story. There was a match up there in Cloverdale. Um, Pat Brady was in it, and it, if I can remember what happened first. First of all, somebody jumped off the top rope onto the ground, and a wrestler by the name of J.T. Styles if I remember right, caught the wrestler and his feet went out from underneath him and his head hits the, the floor. So he has a gigantic, gigantic knot on his head and he's supposed to finish in, in he has more to do and he's not going to do anything more. He's done. And then Pat Brady comes to interfere in the match and Pat Brady takes that step up onto the ring and when he took that step his knee completely blows out and now he rolls into the ring and he tells me don't let anybody touch me so now we've got two wrestlers that were supposed to you know figure in the finish and pat's the only one around everybody's looking around so i go i go oh gosh i'll go into the dressing room to see if we can get some help and figure out what's going on now i go into the dressing room there's not one person in the dressing room so i come back out i come back out and finally finally more of those guys are starting to fight around and stuff it was just the biggest mess that you've ever seen in your life (laughs) oh wow wow okay and then what do you got coming up well, on this book, Excitement in the Air, I I told Frank, I said, you know, we've got 27 interviews, and we have at least enough for one more book, maybe two more books. And so I said, you're going to have to add volume one onto, onto the cover of this page, on the, on the cover of the book. And uh, so we're looking at, at volume two, and and we've got – Interviews with uh, Rick Martell, John Tolos, Mad Dog Vachon, Ivan Koloff, Bobby Jaggers, Billy Whitewolf, Davey Richards, Tim Flowers. You know, we've got 
we've got at least one more book that's going to be very compelling. It should be, you know, just as good as the as the first one with just as big of names. Nice. Yeah, I've seen that. It was volume one. I was like, cool. I'm, I was hoping you're going to do three of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we very well, you know, might try to, it, you know, we're, we're sitting here. I go, do we put all the best ones in the first one, you know, or do we, I'm not saying we put, we didn't put really, really good ones, but it's like, do we save out some of the big names, you know, so we can have a really nice volume too, you know, you're trying to balance yeah. them out. Um, you know, we got a couple current guys in, in this issue with Kyle O'Reilly and, and Daniel Bryan. And, uh, you know, that if somebody is not really, really familiar with the old timers, you know, they can see those names and it's like they're familiar with those names. So we tried to balance it out. Did you ever get a chance to do a Jay Youngblood? No, no, I would have liked yeah. to, but no. Yeah, he was like one of my favorite wrestlers in the Northwest before he, and then of course everywhere else. But right. it was nice to get to see it, get to see him. Right. All right, and then uh, before we're done, uh, we want to make sure you get a chance to plug everything you got and anything you want to plug. So. I'm sure Sine will ask you that, but sometimes we forget to. <laughs> so I always <laughs> like to remind people early that they're not done. We try to go a whole hour. Sure. And then, uh, yep, I just want to thank you again for all you've done for wrestling and your ring around the Northwest and for all the matches you refed and all the shows you've been on and everything you've done for me. And then, uh, I guess I have one more question. Uh, what was like the biggest match you've wrestled in? The biggest match that I refed in, I I refed some matches for Jerry Gray over in, in the Tri-Cities, Washington. And um, I did uh, Tito Santana and one of the Nasty Boys. And Buddy Rose interfered in that match. Um, I did George Steele and earthquake against public enemy that, that was an interesting one um ricky morton and virgil um oh uh jimmy snooka and juggernaut at the vancouver uh, county fair also greg okay. valentine and the grappler and that that was an interesting one it, it had set up at the at the finish where Valentine was no Grappler was going for a pin, and he was going to get flailed flail kicked off onto me. Valentine then was going to drop an elbow on Grappler, who was going to move off of me, so I was going to get the elbow. Now I I pictured what that was going to feel like before, considering it was Greg Valentine, and. Uh, so when that finish came, my elbow got dropped on me, and I, I popped up, and I had a buddy in the eighth row. It was a pretty big show. It was at the Vancouver Fairgrounds. And I popped up, and he's like in the eighth row, and and uh, our eyes meet, and I'm like oohing and on, and he, he visits with me later. He goes, man, you were selling great. I go, yeah, I was not selling a thing. That is how I felt. <laughs> 
right, nice. And then how how's your book doing on Amazon? Do they have ratings and stuff like that? They do. It's 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 funny. I, I discovered that, and I on like the second day, I'm I'm looking at that, and it'll say like number one hundred in wrestling books, and on the second day. For about a day, it was number two, and I'm like nice. fascinated. So then you're fascinated, right? Every hour and a half, you're clicking in to see where it is now, and and now it's kind of settled into usually around a hundred, and it, it'll go up to like two fifty-five, and then suddenly it'll it'll be back down to number fifty, and I'll, I'll laugh. I'll say to my wife, "Did did." it sell one copy and that moves the meter that far, you know, and we laugh about it and, and, uh, but it's fun. It's fun to check in and see how it's doing. Nice. And I'm definitely going to get down to my local library, make sure they got it and keep plugging it myself. And I also want to say it was an honor to make your top 10 uh, best matches of the year. Uh, one year for me and Awesome Adam versus the Suicide Kings. I appreciate that. Oh, I remember that one. That was a good match. I remember that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right. I'm sure Fine's got some more stuff. Thanks again, brother, and I wish you all the continued luck in the world and appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Thank you. Well, Mike, one of the things that you did with the newsletters, you interviewed a lot of top independent talent, that was in the area, the later part of the newsletters run. Did you go to a lot of independent events to kind of scout talent and watch what was happening, or did you rely on YouTube for that, or did you just simply interview guys cold? Um, I rarely, rarely, if ever, just interviewed them cold. Um, I'd reach out and try to, uh, you know, make a – initial um, introduction or, you know, and, and give them a little bit of time. Um, then I, I might send the questions that I had, you know, give them a little bit of time to think about it. And um, then maybe they would feel comfortable answering, you know, by email, you know, and if not, then, then we do it by the phone and, and, um, but yeah, not, not too many. Oh, the other thing that really, really helped me meet people in, in the business, and we haven't really touched on this, is Dean Silverstone used to have reunions at his house up in uh, uh, close to Lake Washington in Issaquah. And the people that he would have at his reunions, it, it was truly unbelievable. You know, I I saw Pat Patterson there, Johnny Valentine, Don Leo Jonathan, Dean Higuchi. Um, you know, so many people there. You know, and you just go and and just just listen, just just be that. You know, you get a chance to be the fly on the wall and just listen to all these stories and and all these legends. Nick Bockwinkel was there. Uh, Dutch Savage, Pepper Martin, you know, you, you just can go over the years. He had it five or six years, and over the years, it was just it was just such a treat to to be able to go and and listen to their stories. One of the people that would regularly go to Dean Silverstone's reunions 
was Dale Pierce. He uh, was well-known in Arizona. Then he moved to Ohio in his last few years. He was up here in our area. Uh, he wrote a lot of books on pro wrestling. He was a great manager. Uh, he wrestled on rare occasions. Did you get the chance to meet Dale Pierce? Dale Pierce and I had been um, pen pals since about 1972. But I did not get to go to the last reunion that Dean had at his, at his record store where I know that Dale came. So I never got a chance to actually meet Dale. And I'm very, very sorry about that. I, somewhere I still have letters that he wrote. Now, I can't read those letters because Dale Pierce had the very worst handwriting of any human alive. But I still have them. <laughs> Ironically, he was a, a teacher as well, so yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, we talked about you refereeing in the ring. The referee is always the first line of defense when it comes to maintaining safety, whether it's an injury or whether it's a fan that gets overzealous and tries to hit the ring. Did you ever have an experience where fans tried to physically inject themselves? No, I never had that experience, luckily. Um, the one time I, I mentioned uh, did see an injury where Pat Brady had just completely blown out, blown out his leg and he, he kind of grabs my shirt and just said, don't let anybody touch me. And I told him that I'd, I'd be sure to, you know, not. And Ed Moretti came into the ring to, to make sure as well. Um, uh, but that's, that was probably the most unusual usual thing that, I, that we saw. Now, when you were training to be a referee, did they show you any of the shooting holds just in case that did happen, or were you left to your own devices in case somebody were to ever hit the ring? No. The first time that I refed, it was uh, Ed Moretti was putting on a show in, in Roseburg, and it was a, it was a two-night event. And I don't – I think Ed just trusted me as far as – knowing what to do I quickly kind of found where I should be in the ring and and where I shouldn't be in the ring um but no he did not we did I don't think we ever touched on that if what what would happen if a fan got into the ring now the referee also plays a vital part as far as communication with the wrestlers and everybody is different some wrestlers will talk to a referee constantly some of them never say a word some of them physically will give cues to the referee some verbally were there any people that you worked with that it was hard as far as communicating in the ring with them I have one really funny story that, that goes along with that Buddy Wayne used to do this all the time. I 
I learned to, to circle, and, and somebody had, had told me this a long time ago, circle in the way, in the opposite way that the wrestlers are circling because it, it makes everything seem like it's going a little bit faster. And Buddy Wayne, I would always be watching him, and Buddy Wayne would always mouth something like he's trying to tell me something as we're circling. And I'd always go over to him, circle around behind him and kind of lean in, you know, and check on what's going on in the ring so he can really tell me. And then he wouldn't have anything to tell me. It was just a total rib. He's just, and he knows that I'm so green that I'm going to kind of be freaking out, like trying to, trying to find out what he's trying to tell me. (laughs) Those early, early shows, I was surprised at how much communication there is in the ring. Um, I remember Buddy Rose and Ed Moretti had set up a spot where Buddy was reaching the top rope for leverage. So he's got his hand on, on the rope and and he tells me to, to kick his arm. Now I'm five six and fat. <laughs> I said, I can't kick that high <laughs> and so luckily I I I made my you know, swung my arms up to knock his arms arm off the off the rope and so we kinda got by doing it that way, but when we got back to the dressing room, he's laughing. He goes, you can't kick that high. I said, no. (laughs) Speaking of Buddy Wayne, his son, Nick has been red hot on the independence. Nick started refereeing for his dad when he was probably eight or nine, I would guess only 16 years old. And he's going all over the country wrestling top main event off of television guys. What do you think of the ascent of Nick Wayne? Oh, I think it's, I think it's so awesome. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of written to, to Nick and Shauna in volume two. We want to have, I had a couple of interviews with Buddy Wayne. We want to uh, run those. And then we also want to um, include some questions for Nick because, yeah, I've never seen anybody rise as fast as as he is. But the one thing that when you start to think about it, when most people try to get into the business, they're trying to get in and they're starting at 18, 19, 20 years old. Here Nick is 16. He's already been in the ring for, you know, 10 years or, or more. So that is going to give him a big, big advantage. And, uh, yeah, I've seen a couple of his matches on the computer, and, and uh, very impressive, very impressive. It's, it's really exciting to see what the future is going to hold for him. Oh, and I, I've got a great Nick Wayne's mom story, Buddy Wayne's story. The very first time that I went to wrestling with, with Ed Moretti. Ed Moretti and I became really good friends in 1987. We'd, we'd written to each other before, and, and uh, we met in a, in a mall, just happenstance, and we visited, and, and Ed goes, well, let's ride to a show sometime. And I said, oh, absolutely. And so probably the 
early part of 1988, um, Ed and I went to a show somewhere east of Olympia, and uh, he hops out. He goes, I got to let Shauna out. And Ed had like a like a pickup with a canopy on the top. And Shauna was in the back. And I, I didn't even know that she was back there. Here we are. We'd, we'd made the trip, you know, and I, I didn't even know she was back there. And she hops out and and she's she's like, oh, good. I finally get to see Buddy Wayne. And, uh, you know, it's it's. I don't know exactly how old she was, but she knew that she liked Buddy Wayne, you know, even even then. <laughs> now, Nick, of course, very, very special talent, like we said, but you've been there for a lot of guys that started out really good and were phenoms from the start. Who would you say was the most impressive wrestler to you from day one, as they started here in the Northwest, or just as they passed through, uh, just whenever they were brand new, whether they were passing through or actually got the start here. Huh. Way, way back when Bobby Shane was here, and probably about 1969, and so at 1969, I'm nine years old. And I, I like to think that even though I'm nine and I don't understand the business, I can still spot the guys who I know are good and who are guys who are just average. And I'll never forget Bobby Shane, and, and it would be nothing today. Bobby Shane had a headlock on somebody, and they were getting ready to throw Bobby Shane off, and Bobby Shane just walked up the turnbuckles, spun around on the rope, and came down and got the pin. And today that's not even a transition. But I was so impressed with that. And Bobby Shane became one of my favorite wrestlers way back then. Um, others that that I've really thought was good. There was a wrestler who is in the Bay Area who came up by the name of Dante, and I thought he was very, very good, kind of cutting edge. Um, I think injuries hindered his career very, very quickly. He was doing some some crazy things, by if I remember right. Um, I got a chance to see Dynamite Kid when he was here in his prime, um, probably probably the best wrestler that I'd ever seen as far as cutting edge at the time, um, you know, overall excitement. Yeah, I, I'd go with Dynamite Kid. That's a great choice. Well, we want to make sure that you get all your plugs, final say, and all that in. So if there's anything you want to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything and everything you want, social media, merchandise, any upcoming appearances or whatever, floor is all yours. Sure. The the name of my book is Excitement in the Air, The Voices of Northwest Wrestling. And and the way that there's a story behind the name of, of the book, Lonnie Main always did promos pushing what was happening, you know, in his upcoming matches. And to, to close out his interview, he'd, he'd look at the 
the announcer and say, Frank, there's going to be excitement in the air next Saturday night. And uh, that just became the catchphrase for Portland wrestling, even when Lonnie was gone. You know, the excitement in the air. And that, and I think that Portland wrestling is the only place where I ever heard that phrase. So the name of the book is Excitement in the Air, The Voices of Northwest Wrestling. And, and it's available on Amazon. If, if you just type in the name name of the book, you'll, you'll see it come up. I love the cover of the book. It's, it's got uh, Bull Ramos, Luthez, Don Leo Jonathan, and Dutch Savage. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I, feel free to, to check it out. It's, it's, I think it's good. It's something that, you know, if I hadn't read, I would love to read it again for the first time. And <clears throat> I've had nothing but positive comments about it. So I think people are liking it. I definitely did enjoy it for sure. Very good. I'm glad. I'm very glad. And that's it. I'm not going anywhere or doing anything. <laughs> I'm just writing books. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Coach, anything else we got to get out there today? Yeah. So you can check me out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Coach Mike Jones. Also, don't forget to check out the Real School Army in the NGW Green Room. And then uh, also, uh, I'm hoping one day. Or maybe I could throw this out to you, Mike, that maybe you could at least do one ring around the Northwest per year, something like that. I'm sure people would love to see it or, or read it. That'd be interesting. I, I, I'm not closed off to the idea. It, it would be, it would be uh, something that would be interesting. And then how do people get a hold of you? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, that's probably the best way. Mike Rogers and under, under Facebook. Okay, cool. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, some more results one of these days when you get some time. Uh, I've always enjoyed those. Thank you. Sure, you bet. All right, well, thank you, Coach. Thank you, Mike Rogers. We definitely enjoyed having you here. We will have to do that a date in the future. I look forward to volume two of the book for sure. Absolutely. Thank you then, so much. And sign, don't forget our future shows coming up. We got real school Army's own and UFC hall of famer, Stefan Bonner on February 6th. And we got all kinds of exciting ones coming up. Sunday we have who coach. I don't have the list in front of me. My power went out about an hour ago. <laughs> It's Jameson out of the WWE. If you recall, okay. early 90s WWE, Jameson will be here next Friday. The aforementioned Frank Culbertson out of the Oregon area. Nice. Well, as we close out today, a sad note, uh, we lost a referee out of the Midwest. Ref Randy has passed away. I never got to cross paths, but he worked a lot of shows for a lot of people that I do know. Had a great reputation. He has a great amount of respect there at the Midwest area. So as we close out, we will pull the bell for Ref Randy. Thank you.